All right. Thank you for tuning in to All Things Division Three Soccer with Simple Coach and Jackie. I am Simple Coach. That there lounging out in on that chair is the chief dog officer. There you can see her. Jackie. She's lounging because it's quite warm in here. My office has this tendency to get really warm. And she just, we both sort of zonk out. You'll find me napping in here quite a bit. Okay, so a little bit of a change of order of things. So as you know, in my injured time, I usually throw out a Twitter poll. Top votes, the throngs of fans vote on the subject I'm going to address. And that's what I do. And that's my next uh, injured time. However, this time is a little different. So a couple of weeks ago, I did a, a did a a poll um, where the winner, clear winner, was the dreaded pay to play. So I was going to do, or I am doing, an injured time on pay to play. However, I have some things in store for it that I'm sort of trying to get someone to help me understand what does the youth soccer landscape look like on the ground at a pretty successful um, youth development program that's led to pretty good, downright I'll say, some of the best um, soccer played So I'm trying to line that up. It's going a little bit slower than I thought. So I decided, hey, let me just jump to, oh, she's out. It's too hot in here. Where are you going, girl? Anyhow, um, so I ran another poll. I ran another poll where uh, she wants to go out, but she's not because she's been out like 15 times in the last half hour. Um, uh, I ran another poll where I was asked, hey, here are some subjects. One of them, the winner, ultimate winner, ended up being my top theories about the game. I call them theories. Maybe they're postulates. Maybe they're theorems. Um, I don't know. Um, I just know that these are some ideas that I have about the game. You know, with the luxury of just sitting here, I don't have to implement any. I don't have to do. I just sort of think about different aspects of the game, and so, hence, this next episode of Injured Time will be the my top theories um, about the game, and so I hope you enjoy uh, any comments. Questions, criticisms, compliments. Hey, you're nuts. Hey, you're great. Um, feel free to leave uh, down in the comments. Shoot me an email. I always try to answer those. And yeah, um, I hope you enjoy. All right. So let's start with some couple of things about the game that drive me nuts. In particular, couple plays that drive me nuts. And I. I actually, let me start with the easy one, because this is an easy one. I did a quick shot early, I don't know, sometime last year, and I called it the worst play in soccer. And that is, at kickoff, at any given point, in, at, at when you're 
tapping out of the center circle. Playing it back and then having somebody break out the good kick and kick it as hard as they can down to a wing for a forward who is probably a little too slow to actually get there um, and a defender who, rather than try to bring the ball under control or actually let it play through them and usher it out of bounds or do something like that, they head the ball back into to create like a chaotic start to, to the game. And I consider this quite possibly the worst play in soccer. I think I might show an example somewhere. But there's another one that drives me nuts because I see tons and tons and tons and tons of teams do it. I can probably see this in every game I watch. And that is you're taking the ball down the corner. Right, You have, a let's say, an outside back running down with the ball. And a winger who was playing more centrally decides, hey, I am going to run into the space out wide on the same side, my back to the goal, and I'm going to receive a pass from said defender. And usually the player tries to you know, turn the defender to go or, you know, traps the ball out of bounds or leads to some, like, crazy tackle by the defender. It is possibly the stupidest play that I watch teams do regularly. Why do, why do I think it's stupid? First of all, the player is always late. Right, The forward, the winger that's going out to that side is late. As far as I'm concerned, if a winger is out there and they are facing the goal or have their back to that sideline, by all means, play the ball. But if they're, they're running away from the goal and their back is to the goal, unless you want it back, which in my way of playing where every pass communicates something, if you're receiving a ball that way, it's to play it back. It's not to do anything with. So between those two plays, that's my 11th and 10th um, top theories. If I were Thanos and I could snap my fingers, I might possibly have to do it for those two. The forward running out wide, and then the long ball at kickoff. Okay, so let's go towards another one of a play type thing that I have circulated before, and I've talked to coaches, and I've raised it, and I've got sort of the polite, dude, you're kind of a little bit off on this one but I'm not so sure I and I'll you know I have some data I looked at I'm talking specifically in this case I'm going to talk about division three soccer but I suspect it's probably more so at the youth levels and dare I say, at most colleges.
So whatever the division. And that is, I think corner kicks are terrible goal-scoring opportunities. And in, if I were to have a team, I would never have a corner sent into the middle. Now, the kind folks who I've talked to, the coaches, have all said, hey, yeah, I kind of get that. But the two things I always hear is that it leads to chaos, which can lead to a goal-scoring opportunity, and that it puts the defense under pressure. And that's a good thing. But it doesn't lead to goals. It does, but kind of, I think, marginally. So, as you all know, I did a couple episodes where I asked, where do goals come from in Division Three soccer? I did men's, women's. And in both instances, both instances, what, what we find is that 10, 11 out of 100 goals come from a corner kick. And I get that's 1 in 10. 1 in 10 shots, right? Um, but I think we take way more corner kicks for the value of the goals that we get. And I would argue that if you're going to be productive with corner kicks, you're better off trying to move the ball into a spot between the 6th and the 18 and try to make a play from there. So rather than taking the corner, short, longer, what have you, play it back, and then put the ball in to into that area because you have a greater percentage of goals happening in that space. And if you're in the women's game, you might even want to try to play it to just outside the 18 where you could take a shot where a good concentration of the goals come from. And so, again, because I did the video, where do goals come from? You know, for the men, you could see the 11 are right there in the red, those orange balls coming in. And, and it, they almost look like every one of those goals came from, I don't know what it's called today, but we used to call this setup crash. And so everyone would crash the goal inside the six. Somebody would dump it into there, and then you would just muscle your way through and plow guys over and, hey, goal. All right. But you score a lot more goals as a team, uh, uh, f from a team perspective. Again, if you just sort of say, hey, the six to the 18, let's say 22, you're going to have a better chance of scoring goals. So can you work the ball there? Because I think the issue with corner kicks is that, First of all, teams, I think, are better defensively on corners than they are offensively. And so I, I, I think they set themselves up for defensive corners and leave themselves vulnerable further out. So can you get them to move? Can you get the ball into those other dangerous spots? And if you look at the women... Right, same, same different layout, right? You have, it's not so much a version of crash, but 
it's pretty tight and the occasional you know if you have a a really tall forward who can get up for the ball um but in the women's game that i notice you stand a better chance of scoring goals from a greater distance so i would argue you know from the 12 to maybe 30 yards out uh, than you do on a corner kick and so my whole intent would be because my whole intent about everything is how do you position yourself to score my whole intent would be to how do I get the ball in a controlled situation, not in a 50-50, and put it in a position where you, are, you, you have the ability to score a goal more than on a corner. Okay, next up, my number eight in descending order. So there's this really interesting podcast it's on youtube called coach cameron soccer podcast and he's been around for a lot longer than i have and i here's a guy who thinks about the game and thinks about how to make it better and thinks i don't just i don't agree necessarily with him on on a lot of stuff and probably on the pay to play is when i do that one you'll see why i say that but he made some pretty interesting observations on one, U.S. soccer won't develop soccer players in the inner city. He's talking about how U.S. soccer is negligent in inner city neighborhoods and finding players. I'm not sure I agree necessarily. I, not that I don't agree with U.S. soccer not doing it, but I'm not sure that that means that these kids don't necessarily have the opportunity to play. But he makes he talks a lot about culture. And the idea that of these kids, he's, I think he lives in Arizona. I think he's a head coach at a community college. Um, and he makes a really, talks about culture and how these kids, it's their culture to go out and play wherever they can on a street. or in a, And it's their love of the game that does it. And it's not anything necessarily more than that. It's just they enjoy, that's what they do. They love to play. And so, and it, it got me thinking a little bit about this theory of mine, um, especially in a very large country like the United States. And that is, if we are not accentuating the differences of players based on where they live in this country, we're doing something wrong. So what, what does that mean? I think if you look at the U.S. historically from a cultural perspective, cultural perspective and, you know, again, sort of our tendency, business, um, you even look at, you know, how, things like Hollywood, you look at your supermarkets and, or, you know, the rise of big box stores. We are very good at homogenizing anything and everything. And I think we've homogenized youth soccer to the point where they're robots and kids are interchangeable, unrecognizable from one to the other in my book. By and large, you get my, you know, there's differences of players. I get that, but same characteristics, same, same everything. It's just right. And, and it got me to thinking there's a big difference between a Jersey kid New York kid at 
Eastern PA kid and say, um, you know, an Ohio kid or a, you know, a DC kid or a South Carolina kid or a California kid, a Texas kid, an Arizona kid. And that whatever it is, that culture, that soccer culture in which they are brought up in, we, as crazy as this might sound, we should accentuate that. And, 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 and we shouldn't do our best to nationalize how kids play, how coaches coach. And I think we should return back to, hey, what does a state do for soccer? And I know that's kind of crazy. I think this is probably my craziest one. If I look at all of my ones, this is the one, the one that seems the most out there especially since I'm not sure I can even have backup data, but I just keep thinking about size and scale of the United States versus other countries. And I'll talk a little bit about that next uh, one of my next ones. But um, it just strikes me is that we're looking for an American player. We're looking for an American player. And the fact of the matter is, is that, we have kids that come from very different soccer backgrounds, and we should be trying to improve those kids in that environment so that they can bring something to the national picture. I guess that's my fight against the robot overlords of soccer. So, yeah. Okay. So this would be number Six, yeah, I think this might be number six. I can't remember the number. Anyhow, this is this is letter B. Um, so I told you my worst plays: the the you know the forward running out wide to receive a ball with his back to the goal. Uh, the worst play in the the existence of soccer: the long ball at kickoff. Um, Talked a little bit about how corner kicks are terrible goal-scoring opportunities. And then I talked a little bit about the cultural aspects and accentuating regional differences in players. This is an, another soccer game one. I am a long believer of throw-ins should be 100% of the time about possession and they shouldn't be about 50 50 balls and they shouldn't be about putting players um into tough spots and it should be about retaining possession to move the ball i know crazy huh the amount of throw-ins i see that are just launched to launch without a purpose to me, is another missed opportunity. Again, the, whether you're a possession-based player, coach, right, right? To me, what's the notion of a th- what's the what's the inherent idea about a, a throw-in? Throw-in for the other team is an opportunity to win the ball. Well, the more times you can keep the ball away from them, that is a good thing, right? Unless, of course, you are a team that just sort of wants to doesn't care about the ball. And there are there are t- 
teams that don't care about the ball, and that, which is fine. But this is my show, so I get to talk about what I what I like. So I will I will give a caveat because I'm a big fan and I'm a big proponent of in the final throw, uh, final third. If you have a player who can deliver a, a, a flip throw or a really good long throw that for all intents and purposes can be used effectively in the final third. I wouldn't use them so much as corners. I would use them more as opportunities to push the team back further, the opposing team back further. But that's about the only oppor- that's the only time where I would be like I would surrender a throw in to something less than 100% possession. And, um, right, where did I start getting this idea? And I'm, I'm simple, so hence the name. Um, where did I get this idea? Was the Liverpool hiring of, the, the, um, of that coach who has made his thing about throw-ins and how, that you, how can you use throw-ins to the best, um, um, to the best of your ability right um uh his name is thomas grenamark he has a youtube channel so maybe i'll see if i can uh grenamark um i'll see if i can't link to it uh, um but that's all he does does throw-ins and now i'm not saying hire a throw-in coach for your u8 you know super great elite development u8 team but you get the idea. I think there's a lot more opportunity to keep 100% possession on throw-ins than what we, we do. Now, in the college level, D3 in particular, which is my, my passion, right? It's time, right? Can you, do you have the time to spend on throw-ins? And do you have this time to spend on other things other than actual corner kicks lumping into the middle? Yeah, I don't know, but there is some great exercises one can do around and warm-ups that one can do around throw-ins. And almost like, you know, the passing drills cone to cone, you make you pass, you move to another cone, you receive, you pass, you move. Same thing but can be done with throw-ins and I think the mechanics of it would greatly improve your your possession of the ball which to me, again, it's another way of defeating your opponent, but it also gives you control of the ball to do what you want. You can then launch it 100 yards like you do at, in, um, at kickoff and into the corner and hope your forward reaches it. So, Throw-ins, 100% possession. Okay, so number six. This one tends to lead to a lot more, I think, discussion or eye rolls, or like, who cares? But I, I have this theory that in I, I'm just talking in the U.S., right? Like, what, what else? To I, we're not talking about other countries, right? But in the U.S., there's no such thing as player development. I think it's just a word. That's nothing more than, you know, with some sort of aspirational and 
emotional connotation. You know, it it's like, ooh, I can develop into the next messy or I can develop into the next well there's no such thing. There's no, I think development relies mostly on the individual player and sort of their trajectory. Can they get better on the margins? I think by and large, yes. Do I think it's because of a licensed coaches? No. Um, you know, Player development, you know, ranks up there with words like elite, you know, because all players are, you know, are elite. They're all, they all play for elite teams, you know, super duper elite academy, FC, SC, AC club, right? Um, until you realize that, you know, there are other players who are more elite than others, just the way way it happens, you know. It's like another word is like academy, as in what, like police academy. There's no no such thing. There's very. I'll just say there's very few places that I would literally put the tag word of academy on, and I'm gonna say the Philadelphia Union is one. And then I would say the Barca Academy out in Arizona. Um, shout out to Bryce Strumeyer. Um, the, uh, outside of those, I'm sure there maybe RSL, I keep thinking, has one, right? Where it's a soup to nuts. Kids coming here are going to learn. They're going to go to school. They're going to play. They're going to be in a professional environment. That is a much different situation than what we call academies these days. You know, Papa John's Academy, soccer club, you know, two times a week, three times a week, you know, and has some sort of progression or process that we have to trust in because they're going to make the best decisions for players based on their ability which I would argue is largely innate and it is not coached. And what is coached, again, is periphery stuff. I have yet to see good examples of kids who are taken at the age of, I'll just say, 10, and then by the time they are 18 have become players that they otherwise would not have been had they not had the exposure to some a license coach at some super elite pathway club um so to me what these every single club in the united states does that and I have not – is we just elevate players to where we think they fit. And they stay there until somebody else fits better. Or they just stay there and continue to be who they are and they play on the team and they're surrounded by whatever players are on that team. They are giving more, given more or less opportunity. Um, but 
again, I would welcome, I would love to see somebody tell me differently um, and tell me what a development progression plan, wow, that's a lot, looks like, because everything I just see, I've seen so far is this gobbledygook and garbage. So, if that doesn't get some people fired up about development, then I miss the mark. Okay, so number five on the countdown. This one is not going to sit well, I don't think, with a lot of folks. I mean, I've been, I've been like, feeling like I'm, you know, you know, celebrating my 30, 30th anniversary of my 24th birthday, getting involved, getting into all these like different internet, um, uh, discussions around how soccer happens in the U S and what it looks like and all these things on anti-social media. And, you know, I, there, these are where I think these next ones are where I think the rubber hits the road. And I think I was going to get a lot of people, maybe they're, uh, you know, they're skivvies in a bunch. Um, but so I think I'm just going to be the one to say this. And I don't think anybody has said this. And I, I, you know, hey, I'm a trailblazer that way, you know, as a YouTube influencer. Maybe I'll I'll start the influencing now. It's not really a positive thing. I tend to be a guy. The glass is always full. It's never half anything. So, which is a surprise. This one's a little bit of a surprise. But I'm going to say it. I don't think there is a blueprint for how soccer should be organized for a country that has 24 million soccer players, 3 million youth players, a federated soccer structure with 50 state organizations, a national federation to one degree or another effective, a professional league that exercises sometimes more as the federation than the actual federation. A variety of leagues and other youth soccer organizations, USYSA, um, US club soccer, obviously US soccer, and and basically a soccer playing population that is the largest in terms of youth soccer, second only to China, which is probably, if I were to look at development, maybe we should be looking at China as to who we are. I know that sounds crazy, but rather than looking at Croatia, right, or Iceland, why can't we be like Iceland? Well, because they have 300,000 players and it tends to be a lot more, a lot easier to do at that scale. And a geography that is, you can drive, right? I, I, I think we beat ourselves. I think uh, beat ourselves. I don't think we beat ourselves up. I think we badger ourselves silly with how do we best structure? How do we find these players? And I think it is largely rooted in this desire to be this 
super great soccer country because we have been told for years that if only we could get it right, we would be World Cup winners every World Cup. And I think that is, uh, I think that is a fallacy. And uh, when, um, yeah, not I'll talk about the one that's probably gonna make people shudder. But um, so yeah, so I'm not sure how we should be organized best. Where I think it, it's leading me down this path, is I think each sweet. I hate to say return to old days, but I think return to old days where each state becomes this becomes their own hotbed for soccer experimentation. And I think if we scale it down to that, maybe there's a way in which we could be more like Iceland and less like China. Hey, it's the Women's World Cup. You know, New Zealand, Austria, waking up at one in the morning, two in the morning to open one eye to see if I can catch glimpses of the game. Largely unimpressed by the soccer. Except probably for Spain. That's maybe my bias, but... So, l let's get to number four. Four, yeah, number four, in honor of the Women's World Cup. And this is going to go over like a ton of balloons. Ton of balloons? Like a, a bunch of one-ton balloons? I, whatever. This is going to go over like a ton of lead um, in a balloon. Whatever. I don't know what I'm saying. And having watched the cycles and World Cups and the wins and the different players and the this and the that and the how we play and and started to watch these other countries come online with their own brand of soccer, injecting their own culture to their game. So I'm going to say this, and this is like I said, the lead. It's only a matter of time. But I think the women's soccer, the U.S. women's national team, U.S. soccer, is will follow the course and be where the men are competitively today. Unless, I think, if we change the way we try to play. And I think the days are over where we can just sort of run and beat and brutalize teams into submission because I think there's teams who have gotten really good and have figured out ways to play might not be the best and I'm just looking at Vietnam the other day they had nothing they played for survival and they held the U.S. to three goals and made them look kind of not really good in the final third that's Vietnam so anyhow okay so, this is number three down the list. And this kind of ties into number six, 
where I said there was no blueprint for how soccer should be organized for a country that has 24 million players and 3 million youth soccer players and a federated structure. And I, I hate to be the guy who, you know, who, you know, wants to go back to the day. But I think every team that plays, and you could do different levels of it, but I think every team that plays in a particular state is required to play in the state cup. I'm just think, And I think the winners of the state cup should play for a regional cup and then for a national championship. I just go back. We've tried to nationalize and homogenize club soccer. And I think the result is that we've made competitive soccer into this endless, bland continuum of games with the personality of a paper cup. I, I think giving states the importance of determining soccer within that state might be more effective in being able to find or develop a hundred kids that could be World Cup material U.S. and women's national team players. I don't, whatever we're doing now doesn't, doesn't seem to work to me, for me. So, okay. Hot dog. We're down to the final two. Maybe three. Maybe three. Final three. I'm adding one. I'm going to make it for this one. So this is number three. This is a revised. I literally am doing this at the spur of the moment because I re recognize that I have never, I, have, I, I haven't, I haven't changed it. Like, I'm just doing this on the fly, and I haven't even said anything, and it's one of my other theories. So this one, this number three, left. Three left. This is number three. High school soccer does more to develop players than club soccer. Doesn't matter the quality of the coaching, doesn't matter even so much the quality of the soccer. It is what is everything is brought to the high school game. Okay, so now this one, this is number two. I am quite certain that no one is going to like this one. I actually saw on antisocial media. Twitter, X, X, Twitter, X, whatever it's going to be called or called. You know, Elon calls me, asks me. I was like, why? And, and he was like, what do you mean, why? I was like, no, the letter Y. Forget X. Everybody uses X. Use Y. He didn't listen to me. Anyhow, this one is a thought. Maybe not so much a theory because I literally have been thinking about this since, what, the U.S., the U.S., the last few games that the U.S. played and the whatever, the league, the Nations League thing, and the Gold Cup, and whatever, and then the whole Burhalter, not coach, not coach, coach, geo, this, and then a whatever, all of that stuff. And 
maybe it's more of a theory. Um, but but I, I'm not sure I have much data to back it up. And right now it's more of a gut theory than it is a, one that I think I can make a, a real legitimate fact-based argument to suggest it or to postulate it or whatever you do in th with theories. But this is what I'm thinking. And, and, and really, hear me out. Maybe, just maybe, the United States is as good as we will ever be in soccer. Whether it's national teams, whether it's, I'll even say MLS, club soccer, maybe this is the best we can do. Now, everyone talks about how great Croatia, Belgium, the Netherlands, Japan for a while, South Korea, you know, how great, you know, how do these countries become so good so fast? You know, have populations that are probably smaller than the amount, total amount of soccer players in the U.S., but what if we're not destined or we 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 can't we aspiring to be like Croatia or Belgium or Spain or Italy or let's be honest right like Argentina Brazil you know who are the powers England nah England, England's not a power they English fans like to think they are but they're not um France like maybe that's not who we should be thinking of. Maybe we're destined to be as good as Macedonia or Greece or Russia. You know, these are countries that have had long, long love affairs with the game. Um, but really haven't amounted to much. You know, they have an outperforming year. Right, Greece wins the Euros. Right, we, we lose to Germany in the quarters. Quarters? Can't remember. On the handball that should have been called that wasn't. But, but, but maybe, maybe that's where we're supposed to be. Maybe we don't have. Maybe whatever it is, whatever that cocktail is that makes. Soccer so successful in other places. Maybe we don't have the ingredients. I, I'm seriously wondering that. We got... Right? Like, maybe our idea of how the game should be played is, first of all, is so hard-coded that it's never going to let us go beyond it. Maybe what we're always going to be is a nation of really good fit athletes that aren't afraid to, you know, but, you know, the real, the real tactical acumen of the game is lost on us.
because club soccer doesn't encourage it or I don't know. I'm th- I'm thinking that 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 this is this is becoming the sad reality of my thinking about soccer in the US. Is that m- maybe this is like the best we're going to do. And and why did I why do I think that? There's actually some evidence as to why why do why do I think that this might be the best we can do? Maybe it's because our our top professional league, our top professional league could you know, you know, except for the couple elite players here and there, I mean, it's more interested in bringing foreigners over, right? An ASL re- redo, right? Where you have a team of stars and Bob Smith is playing right back. Shep Messing in goal. Right, maybe there's an uncanny similarity to that, the amount of, and I'm not saying that's a bet, like that's a judgment, this is a decision, but right, 1996 when we were really, I think, really aspiring, like we really had this energy, hey, we got the league, the league is going to be for American players, the first signings were American, you know, the national team players bringing them home, doing all of those things. Doesn't doesn't work that way anymore. And dare I say, in a lot of colleges too, right? Like you go with kids who pay full tuition, and those tend to be a lot of international kids. Yeah, this one doesn't make me happy, but it is what it is. And it, I'm not saying that soccer hasn't gotten better, but so is everybody else. Right, let's not forget we're 170 countries, 177. I forget what the number is now, but it always changes, interestingly enough. But, like, other countries are growing, getting better, right? Like, and we're growing and we're getting better, but is it ever at a pace that it's going to eclipse anyone else? I mean, aside from being ranked 10th in the country, maybe that's the best we'll ever do is of some high ranking on, on one of those things that are absolutely meaningless, especially since we play in the CONCACAF and all those different things. Yeah, this is a downer. All right, so I don't know what numbers. I don't know how. I don't know the order. I, it's, word wouldn't – anyhow, I, I don't know which number this is, but it is the last one, and I figured I would end on a – Happy note? Funny note? This is my number one theory. And I'm pretty sure I have I have balance sheets to show for it. So I'm just going to paraphrase Harry S. Truman in his farewell speech um, before leaving the Oval Office. In the councils of college, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the college-university bookstore-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of prices for hats exists and will persist. That is no joke. Go to any school that has Barnes & Noble as its bookstore partner, you will pay in excess of 
25 to $30 for a hat. Anyone who is not affiliated or associated with Barnes & Noble, you're paying 20 bucks for that hat. Where's the money? Where's the 5 to $10 go? Goes to the College University Bookstore Industrial Complex. This must end. Okay, so there you have it, my top theories. I have to say, I, I this was a lot of fun. Like, I don't, you know, honestly, I don't, whoever watches great, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you have fun listening to it and it just sort of makes you think a little differently. But it, it was pretty cool to have to think through, again, sort of my thoughts about the game. And, and I sort of did it live, which is why it sort of ran a little bit longer than I thought it was. I thought it would just be like one of these 20-minute videos. But turned out I had a lot more to say in my own mind than, um, than I thought. So, hey, for all you other theorists out there, please, by all means, comment criticize i'd love to hear some of the more interesting ones i left out some of my more weird ones that have nothing to do with anything that'll move the game forward in the u.s but um you know like striped jerseys why can't we have more of them um but anyhow um i hope you enjoy this was great had a fun time and Hope to see you on the next Injured Time. Later.